but get to the book of James chapter 1. And uh, we began last week and we are starting to work through the book of James and we're going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And um, how many of you, and I'm just going to give you the personal example. I learned to swim um, when I was young in the school of hard knocks. And what that means is this. Um, my parents did not take me to the shallow end of the pool and just kind of slowly wade me in. They didn't put little floaties on my arms. I was with my aunt and uncle at a pool um, of a friend's theirs, and uh, they just picked me up, threw me in. Guessing what end of the pool? The deep end, all right? And it was um, kick your feet, kick your arms, you'll learn to swim. I learned to swim. And um, I, I'm telling you, other people have said, man, I was just throwing them deep into the pool, and uh, that's how I learned to swim, okay? Now, I know that you're thinking, holy cow, that just seems harsh. Can I tell you the book of James is the exact same way? James does not wade into the shallow wind of the pool, all right? He, he's not telling you and I, hey, put on your little waders because I've got something simple for you first. James jumps into the deep end of the pool and he's throwing you into it, okay? Remember last week I said the book of James is going to say some things that are hard and hard to apply. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 is the deep end of the pool, all right? So um, just prepare yourself. You're going to have to kick. You're going to have to fill your arms if you want to swim, all right? So let me read what James has to say to us. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Hey, General Paul, is that the deep end or the shallow end of the pool? That's the deep end. Is that easy teaching or hard teaching? That's hard. Because the last time I checked, um, I didn't count the trial that I was going through. Let's be joyful in it. I don't like the idea of having my, my faith tested. Anybody else like their faith tested? I don't like the idea that God has only one purpose for me, and that is to mature me. And sometimes that happens through the hard knock of going into the deep end of the pool. And that's where James is at. He is in the deep end of the pool. Well, here's the thing. James is talking to, he's writing this letter to, as we saw last week in verse 1, to Jewish Christians. And these Jewish Christians are, as it says in verse 1, they are part of the SV, the dispersion, or been scattered. And they are being scattered because they are being persecuted. All right? persecution in the form of being put in prison or losing their life. And so you have these Jewish Christians saying, well, I'm, gonna, I'm not sticking around for that. And they were scattered because they were facing persecution. Or as 1 Peter chapter 4 says, they were experiencing the fiery trial that has come upon them. And that's the title of my message is Facing the Fire. And that's what I want to look at today from these couple of verses in James is what do you and I do when you are facing the fire? 
Anybody other than me ever face the fire? It gets hot, doesn't it? And it gets hard to face the fire when you are in the middle of it. And so let's look at four things today from these verses, what you and I need to do when we're facing the fire. Here's the first thing. You need to accept the certainty of trials. Accept the certainty of trials. So James, he says, count it all joy, my brothers. That's point number two. So I'm going to pass that by for a second. But he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various, of, of various kinds. Notice the first word there. It is, it is not perhaps you will face trials or maybe you'll face trials or mm, no. How often? When? When you face trials. Um, that is a word of certainty, isn't it? There's no ambiguity in that word. He's just saying, listen, um, bank on this one thing. You're going to face trials. They will come into your life. But Jim, they haven't come into my life yet. Well, just wait a few more minutes. They are coming. The Bible makes it very certain that you will not go through this life unscathed. You will have trials. And those trials are what we would be synonymous for suffering, hardship, problems, things in life that just get hard and make life hard and problematic. These are the trials, okay? Now, here's the thing. Even though the Bible tells us time and time and time and time again, everybody say time again. It tells us time again, and James is just telling us trials are certain, okay? Now, there, you know, we all know the adage, there's nothing certain in life but what? Death and taxes. Well, add a third on that. Trials, okay? Death, taxes, and trials, and, uh, but here's the, the, the irony of it. We know the Bible tells us, yeah, we, we, we know we're going to have trials. But um, raise your hand. Are you ever shocked when you're going through a trial? Do you like, well, where did that come from? Well, well, well why is that happening to me? Uh, we act like, like we're surprised that we're going through a trial. You know, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. I love that. Peter just answers that question. He's like, and when we're asking, well, why is it coming? He's like, well, why are you shocked? Why are you surprised at the fiery trial? Like something like, like, like you just grew a third arm or something. Like where did that come from? He's like, no, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Why? Because they're certain. They're going to come. And James is trying to tell us the certainty of it. When various trials come. Now, here's the thing about trials. You can kind of lump them into two different um, categories. One category of trials is what the Bible talks a lot about, and that is persecution. The suffering, the trial of persecution. This is what these people here in the book of James was experiencing. It's the persecution of your faith. It's, it's the hatred of other people toward you as a believer in Christ. It is you being persecuted because of the message of the gospel. It's you being persecuted of 
calling yourself and aligning yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what these people were facing. And this is what predominantly so many people in the, in the New Testament, in the early church, went through. The trial and the suffering of persecution. Even to the fact that many believers in the early church gave up their life for the gospel. Okay, And this is why the writers of scripture of the New Testament repeat themselves over and over again about this idea that you will, you will be persecuted. And it wasn't a very unfamiliar topic to the early church. Now here's the thing. Persecution didn't stop after the early church. It has continued on through the centuries. And even in the world today, in various places, Christians are being persecuted persecuted to the point of losing their jobs, being evicted from their homes, uh, being thrown in prison, even put to death because they are a believer in Jesus Christ in this world in 2021. Now, for you and I as an American, let's just be completely truthful and honest. We truly are not persecuted. Not to the degree of, because now just think about it. Think of your, your influence, your, your, well, your, 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 your circle of people you know who are believers, okay? How many people have you known who are believers of Jesus Christ in your circle of influence who have lost their job specifically? They were fired because they were a Christian. How many people do you know that the bank evicted them from their home because they were a Christian? How many people do you know that are presently sitting in prison because they, were a, they, they, they said, I'm a Christian? How many funerals have you attended because someone was murdered because they were a Christian? I'm going to give you the number. None. We think we're being persecuted because we get made fun of. We think we're being persecuted because we may lose a friend or two. That's a, that's a form of persecution, but it's not the suffering that so many Christians are going through. We as Americans, our, our, our trials are not so much in the form of persecution, but probably fall in this category, the trials and the suffering of life circumstances. Life just goes sideways. We get the call from the doctor. It's stage four cancer. We lose a child and they die. We lose our job because they're cutting back. Our finances go in the toilet. I mean, those things are trials. And those are probably more of the kind of trials that you and I face on a daily basis. The trials of circumstances. The heat's turned up. They are coming into our life and they are hard. They are difficult. It is, it is suffering. It is hardship. And they are trials. Those are the various trials that James is referring to here. When you, when you are faced with various trials, they're coming. Now, here's the thing that we need to understand. These various trials that come into our life can come one of three different ways. One way that 
various trials can come into our life, these trials of life circumstances, they can come into our life um, because of us. We just make bad decisions in life. We make poor choices. And guess what we're um, reaping? The consequences. You know, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul makes it very clear. God's word makes it very clear. How you and I live, the choices we make, the decisions we make. When you and I make the decision to say, I see what God's word says, but I don't want to live according to it. And so we live contrary to God's word. Guess what consequences we will reap in our life? Consequences contrary to God's word. So if we make, constantly make bad choices and bad decisions, we will reap the consequences of those bad decisions, of those bad choices. So if I choose to live my life, my financial life, just, man, I am going to bury myself in debt because I want everything. And then when I am buried in thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars of debt, it's because I made bad choices financially. If I am not taking care of myself physically and health-wise, I will reap the consequences of bad health. If I treat people poorly and, and I treat my spouse badly and I, 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 I don't, I don't, you know, I, I call them names and I yell at them and my marriage falls apart. I've made bad choices. You see, we will reap what we sow. So there are times where, you know what, you and I can cause the trials into our life. Now, here's the, uh, the irony again is this. A lot of times when we're making bad choices, how many times do we look up at God and go, well, why are you doing this, God? And God's sitting there going, I'm not. You're just experiencing what my word says, the law of sowing and reaping. It's not that God's like, well, you know, I'm going to do this to him. We are doing it to ourselves. The proper response when you and I are making bad choices and decisions is to step back and go, you know what, God, I've been living contrary to your word. I, have, I know what it says and I've chosen not to do it. Now I'm reaping the consequences. God, forgive me. Help me to live in accordance to your word and help me to work through the mess that I've made. That's the proper response when you and I are causing the problems ourselves. But here's another category, another way um, trials, these various trials come into our lives is this. Um, understand that you and I live in a sinful fallen world. There is no way around it. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and they sinned, the world was cursed and, and sin poured in like a dam bursting forth. And as soon as sin burst into the world, guess what the consequences of that are? Sin, disease, sickness, natural disasters, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, so we need to understand sometimes when a hurricane blows across the, the, the south, it isn't like probably God going, well, I just need to wake up the south. It's because the world is cursed. And sometimes a hurricane is just a natural outflow of the curse. It is broken. The world's broken. 
The book of Romans tells us that the earth groans and it's waiting for the corruption to become incorruptible, okay? So sometimes disease and sickness and sin and hurt and pain is simply because we live in a sinful, fallen world. But then there's a third way where these various trials come into our life, and it's this, through the sovereign hand of God. You're living your life to the best of your ability. You're trying to live according to God's word. You're, you're, you're not doing anything wrong. You're trying to do everything right. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but you, you're, you're like, man, I'm living, I'm, I'm trying to do what, what God tells me to do, but yet God is still allowing a trial into your life. He, through his sovereign hand, he's allowing a health crisis. Through his sovereign hand, he's allowing a financial crisis. Through his sovereign hand, he's allowing this trial, this suffering, the storm to come into your life. Now, here's where our pride, and Paula shared with, she kind of just shared this with me, and I, I agree. This is where our pride kicks in. Our pride says, but I'm living godly. I'm doing what God tells me to do. I'm, you know what? I, I go to church. I serve in the church. I'm, I'm in a small group. I read my Bible every day. I spend time in prayer. Man, I'm doing everything right. Why in the world is God doing this to me? It's not because you're... It, God is sovereign. And God doesn't say, oh, if you do everything right, nothing will happen to you. God is still sovereign. Take Job and Joseph, two men who in all regards was doing everything right. They, they, they weren't messing up life. They weren't making bad decisions and choices. It wasn't like, you know, the, the outflow of the, the sinfulness of earth and the world was crashing in on. It was God making a sovereign choice to allow these two men to go through very difficult trials. You see, this third one, I believe, is the one that probably trips most Christians up. We have a hard time accepting if God is a loving God, if he truly cares for me, then why is he doing this? Why is he allowing the storm? Why did he allow that pain? Why did he allow this to come into my life? I just don't get it. And this one causes a lot of Christians a lot of turmoil. Causes a lot of Christians to stumble and to fall. You see, it's this third one that we need to drill down on. And this is where James now takes us. So the first thing you need to understand about when you're facing the fire, know that the certainty that they're coming. But when they come, here's the second thing that you and I need to know. The second thing we need to do when we're facing the fire is this. Decide to have a deep confidence in God. When I am facing the fire and that trial comes into my life and the various trials come upon us, I need to make a decision right then and there. Do I or will I have a deep confidence in God? And this is now where there at the beginning of verse two where James writes, he says, count it all joy, my brothers. When you're facing all of these trials, count it all joy. Now notice that word counts. Some of you may have a version that says consider. It is a proactive word, okay? It's something you got to do. 
All right? This is not a passive thing on your part. When he says count it or consider it, you're making a decision in that moment. Okay? The trial is upon you, and you're looking at it. You're looking at what you're going through. In that moment, you have to make a decision. Am I going to look at this trial, this storm, this problem in my life, am I going to allow it to dictate me or my faith in God to dictate what I do? I have to make a decision about my attitude going into the storm. I have to make a decision on how I approach it, what I think about it, how I view it. Everything about that trial is all about the decisions I make now, okay? And what I choose to, I, I, will whether, I will either choose to trust God or I will not. I can either choose to trust in the sovereign hand of God or I will not. Now notice he says, count it all joy. Now we need to get a real understanding of what that word joy means, okay? The English dictionary defines the word joy as this. It's an, emotional, it's an emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. Or it's an emotion evoked by the prospect of possessing what one desires. So the world says joy is an emotional happiness. It's, it's, it's based on what is happening to me. Okay, So if good things are happening to me, I'm happy and I'm joyous. Okay? That is not biblical joy. Biblical joy does not have anything to do with the fact that good things are happening to me. It's not, biblical joy is not an emotional happiness, okay? Biblical joy is not me like um, putting on a happy face and smiling and, and being all happy and glad going, I'm so glad I've got cancer. That's not biblical joy. Biblical joy is not denying the pain I'm going through, okay? Some people will say, well, if you, have tr- if you truly have the joy, joy, joy down in your heart, you won't be affected. And you, you, you'll just be. That's not biblical joy. Biblical joy doesn't mean I don't feel the pain. It doesn't mean I'm not even stepping back, maybe even scratching my head a little bit. Biblical joy is much deeper than that. In fact, I like what Bible commentator Theodore Epps says. I think he, he approaches this really well. He says, to have joy does not necessarily mean we will be hilarious and laughing about the trials we are experiencing, but it means we will have a deep-seated confidence that God knows what he is doing and the results will be for his glory and our good. You see, real joy is something that is happening within me. Real joy is having this deep-seated confidence in going, I trust God. And when I trust God with everything in me, I have a peace, a stillness, a calmness inside. Isaiah 26 says it this way. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, talking about God, he says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Perfect peace. Because my mind is set on the God. God, I am set on you. 
And I'm trusting you through this. And I don't know where this is headed. I don't know where this is going. I don't know how long this is last. God, I'm trusting in you. And it says that God will give perfect peace. Something inside of me will just settle down. Jesus tells us this. In John chapter 16, he is once again telling his disciples that he will be leaving them. And, and where he's going, they can't come. And, and they're, they're like getting worked up. And he says this. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trib tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, he's saying, hey, listen, if you get your perspective right, he says, if you're looking at what the world's telling you, you're going to, the tribulation is going to be there and you're going to be in a mess. But if you will be in me and take heart in me, you will have peace. And you can walk through the world and walk through the tribulation and you will have a quietness within you. That's the joy. The book of Psalm chapter 51 or I'm sorry, chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 says this. But let all who take refuge in you, meaning take refuge in God, who's trusting in God. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Do you see the, the results? Man, I'm trusting in the Lord, and guess what I can do? I can rejoice, not because of the trial, but because of who God is in the trial. That when I'm trusting him, he's my refuge, he's my strength, he's my everything. My mind is set on him, my heart is set on him, my trust is in him. The, the, the circumstances aren't changing. Nothing about my life has changed. But I have a joy. I have a peace. There's something settled in my heart. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not saying that it, the, any cancer diagnosis is hard. Losing a child would be devastating. Losing my job and wondering what's going to happen to our finances. It's so uncertain. But in all of that... When I trust in the Lord to the core of my being, God, your sovereign hand is good. God, I trust in you. There is a peace. There is a joy in me. Something I can't explain, something I can't define, but I know it's there. Because there is a calmness that comes when I trust in the Lord. But the problem with trials is this. It's trials and storms and suffering. They are so good at, at barraging us that sometimes we stumble backwards. And what happens is they, it's, they start to shake our faith. They start to shake our certainty in God. They start to shake everything about us. And before we know it, we're pulling away from God. How many Christians that you, do you know that are like that? 
As long as life is going good, man, they're in church, they're worshiping, they're doing whatever. But as soon as the storm hits, where are they at? They're gone. No longer in church, no longer connecting with anybody, no longer worshiping, man. They're just, they're isolated and disconnected. But when life gets good again, where are they at? Back into church. Why? You see, they, they're basing their joy. As long as my circumstances line up, I have joy in the Lord. No, 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 no. My joy in the Lord is not about my circumstances. My joy in the Lord is about in him. And when I fix everything on him, trusting in him, even when I don't understand it, I don't have the answers, I don't know, I don't know anything, I trust in him. I like the song that we sang this morning, Yes, I Will. And again, I just want to read the chorus to you. It says, yes, I will. Question, choice or no choice? That's a choice. Yes, I will. Yes, I will lift, your, lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. For all my days, yes, I will. I choose to praise, to glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. I choose to praise and glorify the name of all names. Yes, I will lift your name in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will. See, that's a choice. That is counting and considering the joy and, and, and considering it joy when I'm facing the trials. Why? Because I'm trusting in my God. I'm trusting in him. Here's the third thing. Third thing to do when you're facing the fire. Grasp the relationship you have with God in the trial. Grasp the relationship you have with God in the trial. So he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He says, therefore, you know, that word know is vital. That word know, actually, it, it, it means more than just facts, okay? It, 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 that word know actually comes from a Greek word. Uh, let me find it. It comes from the Greek word ignosko, and it means to be familiar with, to have a knowledge of, to be acquainted with a person or a thing, it involves an experiential knowledge, not just merely facts about someone. Okay, so this is really closer to a marital um, relationship. Okay, a, a husband and wife know each other. They just don't know facts about each other. They are intimate with one another. They, they have, like, there are things I know about my wife that none of you know. Okay, there are things about you that I don't know. 
Why? Because I just know certain things about you. But if you're married, you know each other. This is what James is getting at. He's like, listen, because you have a relationship with Christ, because you know, when you know Christ as your savior, you go from just facts about God to knowing God. But here's the other thing. It goes from also God knowing you in a more deeper relationship because you have a relationship with God through Christ. Right now, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're, you're, that relationship with God is it's, it's broken. It's disconnected, okay, separated from God. But when you come to Christ and you say, Jesus, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I need you to save me. When you know Christ as Savior, the relationship between you and God, Jesus is the zipper. And okay, and I, that just came to my mind. I've never thought of this before. If you take, if you take like a coat, and that zipper's undone. It has a distance between it, the two, two art, the pieces of clothing. But as soon as you take the zipper and you zip it up, those pieces of clothing come together. And, you can, and how hard is it to rip a, a coat apart with a zipper? It's almost impossible. I mean, it is together. So guess what? When you come to know Christ, you and God, between him, he zips you up and you are now together with God. And it's never broken. You have that relationship and you have this experiential relationship with God and you know him. Just not facts, but you have a relationship with him. And so James is saying, because you know, because you have this knowledge of God, this experiential knowledge with God, there's a couple of things that you know and you can be confident of. And here's the first thing he says. He says, Count it all joy when you meet trials, for you know that the testing of your faith. So here's the first thing that I know and I am confident in. When I have this relationship with God, this experiential relationship with God, I know and I can be confident in his sovereignty. Because he says, you know that the testing of your faith. Notice it's the testing of it. You're not testing your own faith. How many of you know if you and I tested our own faith, we tested like with the light? Oh, I'm good, man. I mean, we tested about this deep. Guess where the testing's coming from? An outside source. And that outside source, who do you think it is? It's God. God is the one who tests your faith. So if I have this experiential relationship with God through Christ, and I know him. I know the character of God. I've, I read his word. I know who God is. And all of a sudden, I go, God, I can trust your sovereignty. What I'm going through right now, you're testing me for a reason, and I can trust you. How many of you know um, it's easy to talk about your faith in God? It's another thing to experience something. Because you can give lip service about how much faith I have in God. Oh, I trust God in everything. Until he puts something in your life to test what you're saying. And then all of a sudden you have a choice to make, don't you? Do I step into that? And God, I trust you, man. I'm, I trust, or do I back away from God? You see, God will test us. Because he truly wants to know, is your faith genuine? But here's the thing, the more I trust God, the more I know him, the more I acknowledge the relationship with him, the more I can trust him. And that's where Romans 8.28 comes into play. Paul writes in Romans 8.28, he says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, 
who have been called according to his purpose. Did you notice the word know again? Same thing. For we know. Because I know God and I know him through Christ, I have a relationship with him. I know that in all things, all things, he's working for my good. You see, that's the trust. That's when I know God, I can trust in his sovereignty. But look what else James says there. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So not only can I trust and know and have the confidence in the sovereignty of God, I can also know and trust that God is strengthening me spiritually. Because the steadfastness, that, that word steadfastness, it, it conveys, it, some of you may have a version that says patience or endurance. But the idea is that it conveys a courageous perseverance to face suffering and difficulty. It's the capacity and to have the strength to bear up under a trial. How many times do we want to back out of the trial? We want to escape it. We want to get out of this thing. But the idea is when I'm going through the thick of it, I have the spiritual strength to bear up under it. I'm able to continue to stand strong spiritually in the middle of the storm. When I'm facing the fire, I'm strong because I know God is strengthening me. I have that steadfastness. I have that patience to wait on him, to trust him, to believe in him. And I have that confidence of knowing those two things, that God is doing this in me. But here's the fourth thing that we need to see from this passage of scripture and it's this when you're facing the fire allow the trial to take its course allow the trial to run its course so again he says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and here it is and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing notice again it's a choice let steadfastness have its full effect but notice he says so you can be perfect and complete the word perfect and complete has nothing to do with perfection like i'm i no longer sin it's spiritual maturity it's growing up if you recall from last week, I said that the one thing that the book of James is going to zero down on and what the one thing it's all about is this, maturity. Where are you at spiritually? Because like I said last week, you can be a Christian. You can say you're a Christian and be a Christian for 25 years and be this deep spiritually and have no spiritual maturity. This is why people who are spiritually immature can't handle trials. People who are spiritually immature are with God when life is good, but apart from God when life is bad. When life is good, I'm back with God. When life is bad, I'm out with God. That's spiritual immaturity. doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. Spiritual maturity is where James is going here, okay? And you notice spiritual maturity is a result of steadfastness. But here's the thing. Steadfastness, spiritual strength able to endure the trial, comes from the testing. And where does the testing come from? The trial. So if you connect the dots, the trial 
produces spiritual maturity. Here's the thing. You're not getting spiritually mature because you read the next. Who's a big Christian author nowadays? Anybody? No one's reading Christian books. There we go. Um, Tony Evans, okay, he's written books. Who was the, uh, the, the big author who like wrote um, My Savior, um, uh, Max Lucado? You know, he's a big author. You know, maybe, can I tell you, reading a, a book by a pastor or anybody um, will not produce spiritual maturity. Listening to Christian music, not gonna produce spiritual maturity. Coming to church will not produce spiritual maturity. Do you want to know what will produce spiritual maturity in you? Being tested. Going through the trial. God wants every one of us to produce more Christ-likeness. He wants to see Christ in us. And the only way, the primary way that happens is when you and I go through the trial. Because that trial is going to grow us spiritually. That trial is going to do something inside of me if I have that complete confidence in God. When I have that deep-seated confidence in who God is and what he's doing, I can step back and I have that joy in me. And when the trial is happening, I'm quiet and peaceful inside. And guess what? Now I'm, I've got that spiritual strength to stay under the trial. And as God is testing my faith, guess what? It's producing steadfastness. It's producing a strength in me. It's producing a, 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 man, I can do this. And as I grow in that steadfastness, and I let the trial take its course and run its course, I'm growing more like Christ. So when you're at your job and the people at your job know what you're going through, and guess what? When you're talking with them and you're like, oh, life just sucks right now, and I don't know where it's going, and I just hate life right now, they're, they're seeing spiritual immaturity. But if you're able to go, you know what? God is good. I don't understand why this is happening to me. I don't understand why it's happening to my wife, to my husband. I don't understand where our finances are going, but I know God's got it. And that's all I can bank on right now, man. God is the only thing that will see me through this. I don't know where it's going. I don't know the end product of this. I don't know anything. The only thing I know is that God has me. You see, that's spiritual maturity. And that's where God wants to get you. And so when that trial comes into you, see, here's the thing about trials. You and I can't determine what we have as a trial, we can't determine the heat of the trial and we can't determine the length of the trial, but we can determine our attitude in the trial. We can determine our faith in the trial. We can determine whether we trust God in the trial and we get to choose whether we want to grow in the trial. If you don't want to grow spiritually, let the trial just bowl you over. Get mad at God. Get angry at God. Stay there. That's your choice. Or you can step back and go, God, I want a joy. I want a peace. And I want to trust you. And I'm going to trust you, God. I may not understand, but I'm going to trust you. And God, I'm going to believe you're going to strengthen me. And I'm going to believe you're going to help me stay under this and bear this thing and help me through this thing. Because God, ultimately, I want to be more like Christ. And I pray, God, you will help me get there. So when you're facing the fire, do these things. Look at James 2 again and go, 
this is what I want to be. I want to be able to count it all joy when I face various trials of many kinds. I want to be able to know that the testing of my faith is building my steadfastness. And I'm going to let steadfastness do what it needs to do and have its full effect. So I will be perfect and complete in every way. That's what I want, God. Help me to get there. Amen? Let's all stand. Let's have a word of prayer. And I just want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you are facing the fire this morning. And you're in it. It could be your health, your finances, your marriage, a child. It could be a number of things. And you're facing that fire and it is hot. And I want to encourage you. Get your faith focused on who the Lord is. Get your trust on him. Let him be God in all of it. Let him grow you through this. Let him strengthen you through this. Let it take its, let it run its course. And I'm telling you, you put your trust in God, he will strengthen you as you go through it. And you will see yourself grow in this thing. So Father, I just want to pray that you will just show yourself faithful and strong on behalf of everyone here today and listening online. You know exactly what people are going through. You know the fire they're facing. You know the testing that they've been going through. You know the, the suffering, the pain, the heartache. Lord God, you know where they've been. And I pray, God, perhaps there's people here today who have buckled in their faith, stammered, and Lord, maybe they've drawn cold. I pray that they would press back in, and I pray, God, that they would see you once again, and you would make yourself known to them, and they would know you and your character. I just pray, God, for everyone that, Lord, their faith would just grow. And, Lord, help us all to mature, to become more like Christ and all that we say and do, that people can see Jesus in us in the storms, in the trials. And so, God, we just turn it over to you. We put our, you are our refuge, and we put our hope in you. And we stay our minds on you. And I pray you will give perfect peace to everyone in here, Lord, as we trust in you. And we just thank you, God, and we praise you today in Jesus' name. Amen.